Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your goodness to us. We ask that we would not presume on your presence. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can tell, a number of things you can tell. You can tell we're in Jonah. You can tell it's big type. You can tell it didn't make it to the bottom of the page. You can tell it didn't even make it to the edge of the column. I mean, there's very few words here. How is he going to drag this out into a lengthy sermon? Watch my dust. Now, you know the story of Jonah. Every, I mean, even the, even the, 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 the diminutives here might know, having read some Bible story book, uh, the one we raised our kids on, the Macmillan Bible story book, which a great two-page watercolor picture of a I think of a blue whale and Jonah about to be uh, ingested, swallowed. Uh, we say, well, that's, it says a big fish. And, well, it's, the Lord said in the New Testament that it was a whale. So I trust the Lord. But, uh, you know, he, he was told to go to Nineveh, which was one of the capital cities of the Assyrian kingdom, those of you who took my context to the Bible class at some point in your misspent youth uh, uh, probably recall this moment in Assyrian history, probably the reign of Shamshi Adad V, uh, a weak time, weak monarch for the Assyrians, but uh, prior to the one time he is mentioned, Jonah is mentioned in the Kings, I have the quote here, uh, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer, which is a little north of Nazareth, which put him before the time of Jeroboam II of Israel, mid, early mid-700s. Uh, so Jonah is before that time because he prophesied something that happened during the reign of Jeroboam. Um, and so that would put him in the you know, 800s B.C., so, other than that, it's hard to narrow down. Um, but he was told to preach against Nineveh. The Assyrians had been enveloping as a rather mean people. Um, I've mentioned this before in church, but I mentioned it to my students of history. They had, you know, basic ways, basic developments in war, war theory, war philosophy. They, they, they terrorized people as a nation. If they conquered a city, if a city stood against them, they would kill everybody in it, impale their bodies, skin their bodies, and drape their skins over the walls of the destroyed city. Uh, and then they'd go to the next city and say, what do you think? And they'd surrender. It was efficient. Uh, impaling, flaying, deporting people in mass to other parts of their kingdoms uh, to keep them destabilized. Uh, they were not a well-liked conquering um, army. With the Persians or the Babylonians, you got a far more uh, kinder and gentler pagan nations, um, whereas the Assyrians were, were uh, not nice. And so Jonah, for whatever reason, we don't really know, but Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and it says he fled from the presence of the Lord, heading for Tarshish. Now, we think, we took a ship at Joppa, 
uh, which is on the coast of Palestine. If you're looking, if this arch is the Mediterranean, the best we can do. That's what we ought to do. Brian, can we do that? Make a map of the coastline of the Mediterranean out of it. Joppa would be here. Jerusalem would be here. Okay? Tarshish. Tarshish, or Tartessus, was a uh, Phoenician colony on the far end of the Mediterranean, one of the basic colonies, and so he was, he was going a distance. And in the 800s, not a, this was like flying to the moon. Both the technology, the ships, the dangers of the open water, this was not a good time for nautical, and that's why the Phoenicians dominated um, the trade routes in the Mediterranean is because they were the ones who really worked at it. Um, so he's off on the ship, you know, a big storm comes up, everybody plays praise to their God, he's asleep downstairs, they get him upstairs, and he says, you know, pray to your God for heaven's sake, and, and uh, they drew lots, and it turns out that it's uh, Yahweh that's a little bit upset, and uh, Jonah admits that he's a Hebrew, he fears the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, which makes the other sailors go, oh, I see. You have, you're the one. My God was just a corn God. You, you had made the sea and the dry land. And he says, you're going to have to throw me overboard. They say, no, we can't do that. That'd be bad. It doesn't work. They finally have to go say, sorry, we've got to kill this guy, but don't hold him to scatter. So they throw him overboard. The storm stops. They all turn to Jesus. Um, and uh, uh, make sacrifices, and Jonah is then swallowed by the great fish. End of chapter 1. There are four chapters in Jonah. We're looking at chapter 2. Now chapter 2, in its entirety, is the prayer of Jonah in the belly of the whale. And I want you to notice something about <clears throat> Jonah's attempt <clears throat> in chapter 1 he, he, he said he fled from the presence of the Lord. And what you find out when you hit the bottom of your life, or somewhere as you're picking up speed, heading towards the bottom of your life. Now for some people it's merely aging. Because you've got the 2.5 children, the car in the garage, you belong to the rotary, you're dull. Um, your wife's involved in book club, you know, just a, just a pointless life. You shop at Safeway. It's just time, the bottom of your life, the death that's at the end, the, the, the misspent, the ununderstood life is just because you're so incredibly dull and so incredibly uninvolved in developing any kind of greatness in terms of your walk with God. But others of you, you know, much more noble, much more romantic in the, in the poetic sense, or artistic sense of romantic, you sit in boldly. You, 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 you shake your fist at your parents' church because, my gosh, what a pass of hypocrites. And off you go because you're so smart, you flee from the presence of the Lord that way. Jonah was a prophet of God. 
he he was uh, just not quite willing to quite do what the Lord had told him clearly to do. Have you ever done that? You're not the dull person that just wandering to your death. You're not the criminal, you know, the breaking bad sort of uh, experience. Is that enough of a current pop reference to bring up my... You're a Christian who doesn't always like what Jesus says. St. Paul says. You start finding ways around the apostle. You don't want to do what he told you. If he told you to forgive, you don't want to do it. If he told you to love your neighbor, you just don't want you not this neighbor. But you have to, he's a very, he's a jealous God, he says in the scriptures. Or as Lewis said in Narnia, he's not a tame lion. You've got to know what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with someone who is a god. He is not an invention of ours. We did not craft this to make an interesting religion better than the other religions. We did not send Thomas Aquinas and Augustine to school so that they could put together a, a kind of a really developed, ethically pure religion with enough spirituality in it to keep people's interest. This is not an invention. This is a god who always existed as an agent of infinite power, who finally made a universe, for he is the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and he is a certain way. And when you go looking for a God, and you find the true God, you find him the way he is. You find out about the God. You're not designing a religion for yourself. You're not picking up some things here at this church or you've got another fellowship during the week or Bible studies or reading your own or, or reading certain writers. You don't get to invent who he is. You don't get to design him to fit. He's not, he's not a God who has always been looking forward to the time when finally some pastor with a graphic tee can stand up here and, and relate him to the youth. Nor is he dull Americana relating to old churchness. He is someone. And when you fail to remember who he is, you think you can flee from his presence. Jonah is in the middle of the Mediterranean on a ship that is going to pieces. Everybody's running around making little mumbling prayers to their God, and he knows that he's going to have to tell them, as far as he knows, to kill him. He's going to have to be sacrificed because I'm, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You're going to have to throw me overboard. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, now, this prayer is sort of, it's not really a, all a prayer. It's sort of an intro to the prayer, verse 2 through 7. Most of this section is a description of the circumstance. 
And then he prays at the end. I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that is the grave, that is Hades, I cried, and thou didst hear my voice. For thou didst cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood was round about me. All thy waves and thy billows passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out from thy presence. It's a a realization. You've seen the picture. I, I my sister, my what's my my daughter. I have a daughter. Um, she posted something a few years ago on Facebook. I've remembered it ever since. And you probably have seen this because you're young people. When I run, I feel like, and there's this gazelle-like woman running perfectly, everything, every muscle tensed, running, sweating, glistening in the sun. But what I really look like is this, and it's some chubby kid running retardedly with something in her hand, uh, you know, half spazzing out. That's what, that's what we really are doing. And that's what happens when you think you can flee from the presence of the Lord. You don't get to you don't get to design your God, and you don't get to design the world which he made. You can run around with your little life clenched in whatever form it is, your dullness, your unwillingness to serve God entirely because you've done enough for his church, or your depravity. You're an idiot. You're going you're gonna to suddenly realize, I mentioned here, that you think you are looking back at the Lord in your rearview mirror, and it turns out you're in his. And suddenly the mood changes when he casts you out from his presence. Not when you think nobly, like you're the great individual, that you can walk away from his presence. You can only walk away into greater and greater animal behavior and greater and greater animal thought. That's all you can do. You can de dehumanize yourself. That's all. And when you begin to think of it as being cast out of his presence, you begin to realize what the power of that rejection can be when you know he is the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, that there's not a whole lot that you're going to be able to do about it. He cast you into the sea. His waves, thy waves, and thy billows passed over me. Everything around you, even in your, in your distress, as you're going down, as you're ending up dying, God designed this futility that's killing you. Remember he subjected, Romans 8? He subjected it to futility so that cold Death dew on your brow, designed by the Lord Jesus. That cancer, designed by the Lord Jesus. It's killing you, because you've got to get killed, because of futility. This is all the Lord's. 
Can't walk out of it. Can't change the rules. And in your distress, whatever folly you get yourself into, whether it's sin, whether it's just running from him or thinking you can run from him, or just, just not paying attention, Knowing that God has put you aside, not you have put him aside. And if you have been put aside by the living God, you know that all the controls, all the safety, all the joy, all the things that existed in you because you love Jesus aren't there anymore. You're going to be standing in the midst of the world, whatever the world's up to, just ready yourself to get mugged. That's, that's really all it is. You've got to get ready to be destroyed by this, this civilization. And you start to look back, and you know, people do this, people do this all, all the time. You, you see people coming back to church. You know, there's this, um, oh, you know, I grew up in the church, and I really, I really want to find, you know, find religion's place in my life again. They want to get back to it. They know there's something back there that, that's better, that's healthier. Now, the church is not a, um, the church is not a uh, answer to this, but it's a station. He says, "I am cast out from thy presence." Verse four. How shall I again look upon thy holy temple? Begin to yearn. You might not understand entirely what you're yearning for. We know the temple of God in Jerusalem was notable. This was Solomon's temple in the 800s, if he's thinking of the temple, the dwelling place of God, where the presence of God existed in history, on the mercy seat, between the wings of the cherubim, on the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God. It's understandable that a Jew, having been cast out from the Lord's presence, would feel, and swallowed by a fish, would feel a little uh, distant. I shall never look again, because God has driven me away. God has allowed gravity, the gravity of my choices, thinking I was running, really chasing me, casting me. It's a beautiful section of literature, this prayer of Jones. Listen to this in verse 5. The waters closed in over me. The deep was round about me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet thou didst bring up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. It's wonderful. But it, it's talking about the person. It's, it's not just getting to the bottom, but landing there, standing at the gates of Hades, knowing that I mean, you've been swallowed, you've been dead, for, you've been in the belly of a whale for three days. And then he prays this prayer. That's the, uh, that's the wonder of this. And he is at that point. People argue in, in theological circles, people wonder, is, is, um, did Jonah die? 
in a sense, as a type of Christ. Because you know, we, I think it was last week. Wasn't it last week I preached on as no sign would be given to the, this people but the sign of Jonah? This wasn't intentional, by the way. I just looked at this passage this morning and thought about it. But we don't know if he really died or whether he was so close to death that it registered as that with him. Whatever the case, he's standing at the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. The bars are about to close upon him forever. The weeds, you know how you're ever been at the bottom when you're a kid, you ever dive into some murky depth and realize that it's probably three whole feet to the surface and you will never claw your way back up three feet of water. You're panicking down there, somebody has to pull you out, let alone 15 feet, let alone 15 fathoms in the belly of a whale. It's got to be, it's not as charming as the Pinocchio movie where they're lighting a little fire inside the reasonably dry interior of a whale. Cavernous, by the way, a cavernous interior of a whale. The weeds, that image, the weeds wrapped around your head. You ever feel that way in your, as you walked away from the Lord? That you were, you had fallen so low that you were bouncing off the bottom of humanity. You might as well be dead. This girl that we were praying for. You might as well be dead. I was reading Tolstoy's Confessions a couple weeks ago. And uh, it's a good read if you, if you want to have, um, I don't know if he was going for S's, but he went for Socrates, Schopenhauer, Solomon, and Siddhartha um, uh, as uh, emblematic teachers of futility. And he was feeling a special Russian futility, which, you know, is the highest quality. <laughs> because you will hang yourself on principle not because you're depressed, but because principally life is futile. He had to, he had to hide rope from himself. <laughs> you got a problem with suicide if you got to hide rope and never go out alone with a gun. Oh, a gun, me, alone. <laughs> because it's the only sensible thing a man can do is kill himself. Because he'd ex it's a great, of course, Tolstoy can write, as you know. And he wrote well for many pages this futility, this pointlessness. He finds God in the end. I don't know how real, but he finds God. The weeds wrapped around your head at the roots of the mountains. You're done. You got cast off. But God brought up his life from the pit. Then he describes essentially how this happens. When my soul fainted within me, you know, when I was done, when I had finally emotionally, maybe not philosophically or intellectually understood what was going on with me, but emotionally, I recognized that I was nothing. Life was nothing. 
men hit their midlife after they got the 2.5 children in the car in the garage and the wife in the book club. So what's the point? What have I achieved? And they go chasing after Corvettes and Harley Davidsons. When you find yourself spiritually hitting the wall and your soul faints, he says, I remembered. When my soul fainted, I remembered the Lord. There's a lot in this world to think about. There's a lot of stuff to draw your attention. There's a lot of drugs you could take that they say will fix this. Just take your mind off of the absolute calamity that is human life. They are other gods. You remember the Lord. You remember, here it's the word, see capital L-O-R-D here. I remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came to thee. You notice how he shifts from talking about God and what God has done. And he starts to direct it at God. My prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. Remember where he had been chased off from, where he had been cast off from. He wondered if he'd ever see the holy temple again. Because your prayer can get back to where you are not. Your prayer can get back to where you can't get. You've got to be thankful for that. All you could do is cry out. Can they hear you? Well, a lot of other agents can't hear you. Will the rope you have to throw reach far enough to get you out of this quicksand, whatever you're in? Jonah's prayer came to the Lord in his holy temple, the one he didn't think he'd be able to see again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their true loyalty. Now, what I'm saying to you, I, when you preach on something like this, you have Jonah running away from God aggressively, the length of the Mediterranean. Okay? I don't know how far he got. Might have just gotten two miles out of town, but... It seemed like they got a more bigger distance. And we always like to think of, we apply this to the person who gets into a moral distress and they're, again, shaking their fist at heaven. But there are all sorts of people who do it. There are Christians who just don't want to take up everything the Lord has told them they ought to take up. There are people who live in dullness, who decide to stomp their ears and just live on the, you know, on the wave that American life will take them to the end. And then they wake up dying of cancer and wonder, you know, where their life went. All sorts of ways that the presence of the Lord was not present in our lives. God's blessing was not on us, but in every one of those situations, prayer, remembering the Lord, and crying out to Him is the answer. And I would recommend that you cry out at the level you think represents the distress you are in. When you're in the belly of a whale, after three days, it, gets a, it starts to register that perhaps you should cry out like Bilio. You ever notice the difference? You know, you pray, you sit here and 
have the prayer request, we all bow our heads, reverence, right? You do bow your heads, right? Somebody's checking? Okay, some don't. What if you had those knee rails, you know, you drop them down on the pew in front of you? Real religion there, folks. Now, you know the difference when you kneel. If you're not a kneeling person for your prayers, you know the difference when you do. Why do you kneel? Because the distress is that big. When you pray quietly with just your head bowed, Dear Lord, help Aunt Susie. She's struggling with fibromyalgia. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. Standing, saying out loud, Dear Lord, help me as I struggle with fibromyalgia. Because it's you, you start to care a lot more. You stand before the Lord. Sometimes you will fall prostrate. Sometimes you will cry out. In some cases of the Old Testament, they ran into the temple and they grabbed the horns of the altar and supplicated. I don't know what distress you may be in. I don't know what manner it takes or whether it's rebellion or whether it's just dullness or whether it's just, you know, a bit stubborn about the Lord. You versus God, you're a faithful Christian, you come to church at all souls, for heaven's sake, is it to account for something? Why do I still have to be loving? Remember the Lord. Remember that His presence, your problems are due to His presence not being with you. And His presence, it's that old image of the footprints calendar that... David sent me from Hawaii some footprints in the sand. He was very nice. It touched me. I wept. But you remember the footprints calendar where the, you know, Lord, why did, was there only one, so why did you leave me here? And no, I carried you, my son, blah, 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 blah. In my view about it is that, no, that's where I left because you were a pain to be around. Now, you know God's not with you, not because you, you walked away, yeah, you intended this, but really, actually, you were just being a little baby in your walker, and God said, oh, as long as you're going to cry, I'm leaving, and left you, cast you away. He's going to hear, his temple will hear your prayer from whatever distance. You can call on him from whatever distance. I don't care if you're at the bottom of the Mediterranean, in the belly of a whale, three days gone, weeds wrapped around your head, your prayer comes to his holy temple. You don't have to wait to get to church next Sunday. If your distress is facing you in your living room, in your backyard, at work, and it's great, Step aside. You're not praying to impress people. Step aside. Fall on your knees. In remembrance of God. And realize you're not praying to a vain idol. Everything else that claimed your attention was precisely that. Every other promise that the world was going to make. Your true loyalty, we forsook what was true. We thought we could walk off and worship ourselves, worship our nation, worship capitalism, worship 
you know, whatever avenue that gets us ahead, our sense of causes or righteousness, whatever it is, other gods don't provide. He is the God that made heaven and earth. Every, every Sunday, and it's intentional, at the end of the first hymn, I thank God for the morning as a dear Lord, maker of heaven and earth. It's out of, essentially out of um, Acts 17, the way Paul talks to the Athenians. It's the maker of heaven and earth. That's who we're dealing with. Hence your loyalty, since he made everything. And since, as he says in Acts 17, in him we live, move, and have our being. Everything you are, the distance from God you arrive at can only be an emotional, spiritual distance created by him. You are going to feel the effects of that, and you need to close the distance. And you need to first remember him. You need to second, cry out to him. And it has to be him. Set aside all the other things. What does Joshua say at the end of Joshua? Choose for your day whom you will serve, whether it be the God your father served before in the land of Egypt and across the river. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are you going to serve Yahweh or not? You've got to make some decisions here, folks. This is not casual. You don't stumble through this. You give more attention to your taxes. Well, I better get this right. They'll come after me if I don't get this right. I was doing my taxes this week. This is the God of heaven and earth in whom you live, move, and have being. And however far away your distress has taken you, that he has cast you off to that Because he can drive you to the end, to the bottom of creation. I mean, think about it. His waves, his billows, his instruction. Over the side you go. I'll forgive you guys. Yeah, but don't make, don't blame us for this. Okay, I won't blame you for that. I'll save your lives if you kill him. As far as they knew, threw him over the side. Can you imagine? You don't swim. You're a Jew. An Israelite. Deep sea. In a storm going down something big and horrific you know how when a stick touches your leg at the lake and you think your life is over because my gosh it's a freshwater shark in Coeur d'Alene this wasn't a stick it was a monster big enough to swallow him which has got to be a treat and for three days Who is your God? Do you remember? Do you cry out to him? Look at what Jonah says. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to thee what I have vowed. I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. This is in the midst of it. He has described wonderfully 
the, 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 the emotional, spiritual, crippling realization, I am driven away from everything God, my God, had provided for me, his temple, his presence. And I thought, for the moment, wouldn't it be cool if I didn't do what he told me? He got taught, taught a lesson. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, said this recently. My father mentioned it to me, and I don't know how many months ago, and it's been sort of sitting on my mind for a while now. And the degree thanksgiving plays in your submissions to God, that when you face something in the scripture you don't want to do, you don't like, whatever it is, don't work on that. Don't try to like it. Thank God for it. Here, Romans 1, 20 on the left-hand side. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. The God who made heaven and earth. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Just you existing, living, breathing, conscious. I don't care how bad you could be in jail getting beaten by KGB officers. You have life. You have something the power of knowing the living God. You have much to be thankful for. Here he is in the belly of a whale. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, it's that failure to honor God or give him thanks, to remember him. What are you dealing with? You're dealing with the living God, the maker, from whose presence you thought you could hide, but in reality he was hiding himself from you. You better cry your way back. Thank your way back. Pray your way back. Do what you devoted to him. You thank him now. Not if he comes through. You don't say, Lord, if you get me out of this whale, then I will thank you. Thanksgiving, you standing humbly before your God is what the failure of which caused the wickedness of the age. The wickedness you see around you? We were talking about it last night at dinner, about how, how did immorality come on so... Now it's just the theme of every show on Disney. On Disney, they're having gay couples as characters. Disney. Because everybody's used to it. You see, and you suddenly realize, oh, this is bad, how did it get this way? People are wicked. And they did not give thanks or honor him. They became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That flight from God which looks to you in your pudgy little hands like you're that gazelle. As you run from the Lord, you are that noble superman that, that, are not, that, that is the pride of all of humanity. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their true loyalty. 
That's where you go. Like that chubby little idiot girl running in circles. Because that's what you're doing. You better thank him. You better offer his creation back to him and say, Lord, I know this is yours. I know you made it. I know I have my being in it. Whatever devotion you have offered him, repent to it. Just don't say, ah, okay, if I get out of this, I'll go to church every Sunday. Really, except for Super Bowl Sunday. You don't, you don't make promises like that. You say, you have a devotion, a debt. You have a debt to this God. Pay it. And then, deliverance belongs to the Lord. You trust him that his mercy will be great. And then the life that we'll just call the fish that swallowed you will throw you up. I think it's a great image. It vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Great image, because that's really what you're left with. The great fish that swallowed you. The death that was staring you in the face. The bottom of creation that you had reached. The weeds about your head. And all you could do was cry out and understand who your God was, how thankful you were, what you owed him, and trusting him for deliverance. That mercy is the Lord's. You can't save yourself. You can't come to this church long enough to learn all the tricks of the Christian trade that we represent here. This is if you live this way, you think that way, your life will be good. Now, all the mercy comes from God. All the grace comes from God. You can just realize that you, well, as Graham read this morning, those that find it are few. The way is narrow. It's hard. Those that find it are few. But you're finding the door to God's grace. You're finding it's going to vomit you back up onto the beach. There you are, making footprints again. Maybe that, that's what it should have been. You know, footprints. Then a whale swallowed me. Off I went for a while. Then I got puked up on the beach further down because I tried to flee from the presence of God. Well, think on these things. You said to yourself, yeah, ten verses, big type. He'll be done real early. But no, just as long. But we're thankful. <laughs> Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all your good, all your mercies, all your deliverance. You've gathered us from all sorts of lives to yourself out of all sorts of distress. Lord, if any here are in distress of any sort, need to find you, help them remember you. Help them cry out at the level of their distress with thanksgiving, trusting you for deliverance. Give them grace, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.